Welcome to the Courage 1000 Project, where each week we bring you inspiring stories from courageous individuals about the moments and experiences that have shaped their lives. I'm your host, Melies the Story Collector, author, speaker, trainer, facilitator, videographer, award-winning photographer and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help deep-feeling women reclaim their confidence, joy and purpose in life from a world that overwhelms their hearts, minds and souls. And this journey... It starts with courage. You see, after a lifelong struggle with my own identity, I discovered the core principle to reclaiming your life was courage. And it made me curious. Were there others like me? Were there others who had reclaimed their life through the secret of courage? What was courage for them? What did it look like? And where were their stories? And with that, the Courage 1000 Project was born. We're digging up the archives and bringing to you season one of the Courage 1000 project. Originally a web TV show and now available across all your favorite platforms. Let's get into it. Welcome to Melies the Story Collector Web TV, where each week we bring you inspiring stories from courageous individuals about the moments and experiences that have shaped their lives. Now, when you say adoption in today's society, it's usually a really positive thing. People see adoption as an amazing thing and an amazing gift we can give to the children who don't necessarily have the family that they need. However, in the 60s, it was a very different story. Today's guest, Dyra Dell, is going to share her story about adoption in the 60s and the lifelong journey she had to go on to finally have the reunion that she was seeking. Mally, I'd like to share this story. It's a personal story and it's a story of so many women. And if sharing my story helps other women move beyond their pain and come to be fully expressed, then my job is done. Oh, that's beautiful. And where did all this begin for you then? Where did this suppression begin? Oh, my suppression began decades ago. Um, my, my, one of my earliest memories and one that's had a, a long-lasting effect was I corrected my violent alcoholic father of whom I was terrified at a public function because he told a lie. Oh. And I got a real hiding out of it. Now, my four-year-old mind made, up, made the decision then that what I had to say wasn't important it wasn't safe to speak up and that adults tell lies. And I sat, not so much the adults at lies, but the other two points, they sat deep within me and became a limiting belief for decades. So that started the suppression and growing up in that violent alcoholic household, of course, there was suppression and, and hiding and secrecy, loneliness, fear, isolation they're all the things that, that go hand in hand with that when i became a teenager i was tall and gangly i grew tall you know, i'm five foot ten i grew tall early and i was ashamed of my my height and i used to hide away and i used to my photos at that time i've sort of got my backs like in a, almost in an s as i've tried to shrink into myself however i was at a dance my heart throbbed offered to drive me home and what I didn't know was that he had two mates on the floor in the back. Well, we didn't go home 
and my screams of stop, please stop, just increased their fervour. They told me that if I'd opened my mouth and said anything, that that was just a taste of what would come. Now, my 15-year-old mind accepted that, that took that on board, and that suppression was complete. It kept me quiet for 45 years. And, and worse was to come, a pregnancy and an adoption followed this. And the welfare workers of the day, because society was very different back in the 1960s to what it is in 2019, they told me I was a disgrace to myself, the universe and everything in between. I should go and out of society's way and go nursing because no decent man would want me. So after you've been through this really traumatic experience, there's no support or anything there for you. It's just... There was no support in the 1960s. It was, it was all about shame, secrecy, fear and, and degradation and humiliation because you were the bad girl. And even if it was a rape, you were still the bad girl and you were hidden away from society. And that's exactly what happened. I was sent away as a house uh, housemaid to, um, to a doctor and his wife in a, in a remote area so that I was out of sight and out of mind. Wow. And that's what happened with that baby? Life. I beg your pardon? What happened with that baby then? Well, it was adopted out and I was told that I had forgone all rights there would never be any contact that it had gone to a decent home because I was such a dreadful, awful person that, that I couldn't possibly look after a child. So I went off nursing and I did exactly that. I became officious and efficient. I, and I carried it off to a tea. But then I met a beautiful man, had a wonderful 31-year marriage, and he passed away in 2002. And 2002 is the critical time for me. My well-ordered well-supported life came to an end when Les went to heaven. Mm. I was frightened. I was alone. He was the first man who showed me respect and I grew into the woman I became under his love. And suddenly that was gone. That's so beautiful and so heart-wrenching at the same time. And I drove myself, which is my modus operandi for want of a better word, is that I push myself until I drop if, if I'm, if, when I'm challenged. So that's exactly what I did. And within 12 months, I'd lost 12 kilos. I dropped to 51 kilos. Uh, I was like a matchstick with the wood scraped off it. And I was physically, physically, emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. Yeah. And it was at that time that when I just, one day I just couldn't do anything. So a friend took me to the doctor and that started my role because she said to me, this doctor said to me, don't you matter? Ooh, and I looked at her and said, of course I do. And she said, well, you're not behaving like it. Mm. So that was my turnaround. And isn't that amazing that I just made the connection with that phrase, I'm now talking about your voice matters. And I'd completely forgotten about that doctor's conversation. It's just come back to me. So anyway, that, that, was, that was the starting point. So I have been engrossed in a 17-year self-development role that will continue until the day I die. Yeah. And part of that, in 2006, I wrote and self-published my story called Beyond Abuse. Now, at that time, I thought that I was healed. I wrote programs, I was speaking, I was sharing, I was doing all sorts of things. But in effect, I was partly healed. So I continued my journey 
And last year, I republished that book. Yeah. And it, um, it's an extension of the original, uh, answering questions that I that I've been asked in the last ten years, filling out on things that I glossed over in the first book. But I also included other people's stories. So there's four men's stories and four women's stories because men, bad things happen to men as well. So there's that combination. So this is quite a different book, The Second Beyond Abuse. Now, the day that that came out live, when I saw the link live on Amazon, something just went off in my head, an explosion. It was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to trace. Yeah. And I started then to go looking. Now, I do have to step back a bit from that original story. Uh, I was in such a bad emotional place after the birth of that first child that I let people use and abuse me for a number of years. And three years later, I had a second child. That was an abusive relationship, and I walked away from it. Good on you so for the strength to do that in a time where you were really not supported for doing something like that. There was, in the, in the 60s, there was no support. That's society. And we really can't put, you know, I've had people say to me, you know, why don't you report these guys? You know, you could take them to court. You could do this. You could do that. It would only be revenge. What am I going to prove? Yeah. Holding on to that is what's caused me pain all these years. I've moved past that now. That, that method of forgiveness has really taken me to the next step. And that's wonderful. But anyway, back to this link. I saw the link. This thing went off on my head. I'm ready to, to search. So I set about doing that. I got some help. I knew where to go. And away I went. And in two short months, I had found and met my daughter. That's amazing. Now, how amazing is that? And she lives in the same city as me in Brisbane, a number of a few suburbs away absolutely incredible so we've been given this god-given opportunity to create a relationship and she was receptive to the fact that you wanted that relationship i beg your pardon and was she receptive to the fact that you wanted this relationship yes, she was. yeah she was she was receptive to to meeting me and getting to know me but she's also got a great compassion for how life was, as I shared my story and, and what happened, because of course she knew nothing about my background, just as I knew nothing about hers. She's, com she's very compassionate about how life was for me in the 1960s. She just can't comprehend that people were treated like that. Yeah. But that's how society was. So while it wasn't nice, it's still how society was. And, and you know, going back and this thing decades later to, to chase someone. To me, it's revenge. Mm. Move forward because the hanging on to that is what keeps you down. And that, you know, the forgiveness process just took me such a long way. Yeah. But then something happened. I met um, Sue last Saturday for a coffee. And in the course of the conversation, she made a throwaway comment about her father. So she's not the result of the rape. She's the result of the second pregnancy. And I thought, oh, that's odd. And then we just continued with the conversation and I didn't think any more about it. But a couple of hours later, it caught up with me and I was quite upset. Now, I knew then that I had to do something. Yeah. So my thing is to talk. So, you know, 
it's important to nip it in the bud. So I talked to a friend, talked out my problem, and then I went and wrote about it. They're the two things that get it out, and then I completed it with the forgiveness yeah. process. Now, the reason I needed to do that was when I wrote the first book, I went through the forgiveness process for Dad and the Rapist. But because it wasn't as traumatic, I hadn't given any thought about forgiveness to the second relationship. Yeah. Because in your, so, yes, in your so, last Saturday, it's bad as this, so I don't really yes. focus so on I don't, that. You know, just, just brush that aside. Yeah. So I, what, what it has done, what the realisation that I've come to is that there will always be another challenge. You know, challenges are like a bus. There'll always be another one come along. So what's important is knowing how to deal with it, having strategies that can help you regardless of what the situation is. Yeah. But there's always a little bit more of the puzzle that waiting for it, its spot to fall. But it also reminds me what it feels like when you're back there first starting out. Mm. And that's absolute gold for me to be able to help women move from suppression to expression because that's where I'm at today. And that's, it's just so beautiful that you've been able to take this really dark experiences in your life that were completely out of your control mm -hmm. and now to be in that place of empowerment where you can help other people to really express themselves. Yeah. And when you were sharing, I want to go back to when you first shared your story with Sue. Mm-hmm. Do you feel it was sharing that story which really created the bond between the two of you that was missing after all those years? Um, yes. It, I wouldn't say there's a close bond. We're working on that. Yeah. I've kept it very superficial at this stage and I'm letting Sue set the scene. Yeah. And as she's not a result of the rape, I didn't really go into it very much. I just mentioned that it had happened and that, that, were, that there were two children so that she's a, because so that she's aware, well, she was aware because the government agency told her that she had a brother. Yeah. Um, I haven't been able to trace him at this stage, but I've got other things on my plate, but I'm also at a place where I'm thinking, I'm happy that I've found Sue. Yeah. And I'm just sitting and relishing in the universe's gift to me with that at the moment i'll go seek the other the other child when i've you know when i'm ready i'm not ready to face another lot because i think that it's important that you assimilate yeah. and get comfortable with where you're at right now yeah and i think as, as i've shared stories about the adoption um, there's a post-adoption support group that I spoke for and it was videoed, it was 18 minutes. Now, I posted that on social media thinking, I don't think people will watch 18 minutes and it had 1,850 views. Wow. So, so adoption really is prevalent a at time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely incredible. I've never had that sort of response to, any, to a video that I've put up. Yeah. But it's showing me that adoption really touches hearts. And as I'm speaking about it, I'm finding there are so many people touched by adoption because it, it isn't just the mother. Mm. It's the child, it's the adoptive parents, it's their siblings. 
yeah. the parents of the, the mother, the parents of the mother. So, you know, it's a whole wide range of, of emotions, of feelings, of relationships. But all of them start with having the courage to have the hard conversation. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And from what you said, the 60s was a completely different society then. So, yes, oh, it was. Other women yeah. who were in your situation who mm -hmm. are trying to reach out to children that were taken off them. Mm -hmm. Are you helping in any way with them or are you just helping them find their voice so they can start making that move to track those children down? I think I can help them with their voice. I'm not anything in an official capacity. I can, I can show them who to go to yeah. and I can tell them what I got out of going to, that the government agency is the one that gives you the dates, the times, the places, the facts and the figures. Yeah. And the other one, post-adoption support, they provide counselling, listening. Uh, they will help with searching if you want. So they're more in the support line when you're doing and when you've found and the young lady that I'm dealing with through the support group, I think she's taken me on as a bit of a, a project. I think I'm like her grandma. Um, even although this happened last year, she still follows up with me and rings me every couple of months and says, you know, how are you going? Um, and if she knows that I tell her that something's coming up, she rings me after that and says, you know, how'd it go? So, you know, they, they really are caring and supportive. And it was amazing, that little support group the day that I went, they had uh, three speakers of people who had been through different areas of adoption. And it, it was just so amazing, the feeling and the support and how much the group got out of that group session, they got, got out of that morning session. It was amazing. Yeah. So it would have been a group of people having the courage to share those stories and in doing so, they were connecting with each other through that common link between everyone. Yeah. Well, there were, th there were three people speaking and then there was, they were speaking to a group. Yeah. So they are, some people are not ready to speak. Like um, when they asked me, would I speak? They said, oh, you know, the next program's filled up. And then they rang me a couple of days before and said, someone's dropped out. Um, are you in a position to be able to speak? If you're not that, that's fine. And, you know, I've got the speaking skills. I've been speaking for a long time. So I was quite, and I've shared my story many times over these, you know, since 2006. So it's not new to me. So it wasn't an issue for me to get up and to speak and to share. Yeah, there's emotion in my voice as I speak. Oh, wow, that was a pretty emotional stuff I was going through. Mm. And when, you, when you're vulnerable and show your your um, softer side. I think vulnerability brings out that softer side yep. and it makes you more, it makes you very human and it makes you very humble. And I just had such incredible response to that video, comments and support. Absolutely amazing. Now we're at that point in the show where we get to thank our amazing sponsors. But before we step into that, if something from today's episode, if something Di has said resonates with you and you are feeling the call to connect with her, please jump over to her website, diradell.com and connect with her and let her know the impact her story has had on you.
That's what this show is all about, creating that connection through stories. Now, Di has sponsored her own episode of the show today, and she would love to give you a free confidence journal. If you would like to get your hands on this, simply go to the link, which is on your screen. I think it's that way. (laughs) Download that free confidence journal and don't forget to reach out to her. And we'll see you next week for another inspiring story. Love and kindness, my friends. If you are feeling stuck and overwhelmed right now and are struggling to find your courage, jump over to mellies.com.au to claim your free personalized insights and discover the three things you need to know to reclaim confidence, joy and purpose in your life.